Chapter Fourteen of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Fourteen. The first few days in the new home were filled with wonder and delight for them all. They just could not get used to having plenty of room indoors, with all outdoors for a playground. Doris's cheeks took on a lovely pink, and her eyes began to sparkle. She and Harley spent all day out of doors. They were making a garden. Not that they had any experience or any utensils. There was an old hoe and a broken spade down in the basement of the barn, and with these Harley managed to remove a few square feet of young turf and mellow up an inch or two of soil depth. In this they planted violet roots and buttercups and daisies which they found in the meadows. Doris had a corner all her own, with neat rows of tiny stones from the brook laid in elaborate baby patterns around the edge, and in this she stuck twigs and weeds of all descriptions, and was never daunted, only pained and surprised when they drooped and died in a day or two, and had to be supplanted by others. It had been decided that Harley was to stop school and stay at home with mother and Doris, which indeed he was quite willing to do under the glamour of the new life. The school itself never had much attraction for him, and the fellows were almost forgotten in searching for angleworms and building dams in the creek. Carol went to high school every morning with Shirley and George on the trolley. There were only six more weeks till the term was over, and it was better for Carol to finish out her year and get her credits. Shirley thought they could afford the extra car fare for just that little while, and so all day long Mother and Doris and Harley kept quiet home in the old barn, and the meadows rang with Doris's shouts and Harley's answers. One day the doctor came out in his machine to see Mrs. Hollister, as he had promised to do, and found her so much better that he told her she might get up and go around a little while every day, if she was careful not to get overtired. He prophesied a speedy return to health if she kept on looking happy and breathing this good air. He praised the good sense that brought her out into the country to live, in preference to any little tucked-up house in town, and said if she could only get well enough to work outdoors in the ground and have a flower-bed, it would be the making of her. Her eyes brightened at that, for she loved flowers, and in the days of her youth had been extremely successful in making things grow. The doctor was deeply interested in the barn. He walked about with his hands in his pockets, looking the rooms over, as delighted as a child at seeing a new mechanical toy. "'Well, now, this is great,' he said heartily. "'This is simply great. I admire you people for having the nerve to go against conventionality and come out here. If I had a few more patients who could be persuaded to go out into the country and take some of the unused old barns and fix them up to live in, I'd have to change my occupation.' It's a great idea, and I mean to recommend it to others if you don't mind. Only I doubt if I find two others who have the nerve to follow your example. The invalid laughed. Why, doctor, I can't see the nerve. We really hadn't any choice. We couldn't find a decent place that we could afford. And this was big and healthful, and cost less than the worst little tenement that would have done in town. Anyone would be a fool not to have come here. Mrs. Hollister, do you know that most people would rather starve and swelter, yes, and die in a conventional house, than to do such an unheard-of thing as to live in a barn, no matter how delightful that barn might be? You are a great little woman, Mrs. Hollister, and you deserve to get well, and to see your children prosper, and they will. They have the right spirit. 
After his visit, Mrs. Hollister began to get up a little while every day, and her improvement in health was rapid. She even ventured out to see Doris's garden, and watched the birdie in his nest in the tree. One day a drayman stopped at the place and left several great rolls of chicken wire and a couple of big crates. One crate was bigger than the other and contained half a dozen big yellow hens and a beautiful rooster. The small crate held two lovely white rabbits. The children hovered joyfully over the crates. "'Mine wabbits!' declared Doris solemnly. "'Nice Mr. Dwayam give Doris wabbits!' "'Did Mr. Graham say he was going to send you some rabbits?' questioned her mother. "'Es. He did say he was going to send me some wabbits. On the way from church in big automobile, he did say he would give me wabbits. Oh, mine wabbits!' Doris was in ecstasy. Mrs. Hollister looked at the big rolls of wire questioningly. "'George and I told him we wanted some chickens. I guess that's why he sent them. announced Harley excitedly. "'I hope you boys didn't hint.' That's very bad manners. You know, I can't have Mr. Graham giving you such expensive presents. It won't do, dear. No, mother, we didn't hint. George just asked him if he minded if we kept chickens here, and he said, no, indeed, he'd like to go into the business himself. He said he used to have a lot of his own when he was a boy, and he guessed there was a lot of wire from the old chicken run around at his place yet. If there was, there wasn't any reason why it shouldn't be in use, and he'd look it up. He said if it was, he and we'd go into business. He'd furnish the tools, and we could do the work, and maybe some day we could sell eggs and make it pay. That's very kind of him, I'm sure, but Harley, that looks like new wire. It isn't the least bit rusted. It's galvanized, mother. Galvanized wire doesn't rust, don't you know that? said Harley in a superior man's voice. Harley and Doris were wild over their pets, and could do nothing at all that day but hover about them, and the minute George arrived, the boys went out to see about putting up some of the wire and making a temporary abode for the creatures, until they could get time to plan an elaborate chicken run. Before dark, Graham arrived. He had brought a book on chicken raising, and had a good many suggestions to offer. With him in the front seat of the car rode a great golden-brown dog with a white-starred face, great affectionate eyes, and a plumy white tail. He bounded floppily out after Graham, and came affably up to the door as if he understood everything, and at the sight of him the children went wild. I brought this fellow along, thinking perhaps you'd like him to help look after things here. He's only a puppy, but he's a good breed, and I think you'll find him a splendid watchdog. You don't need to keep him, of course, if you don't want him, Mrs. Hollister, but I thought— out in the country this way, it might be as well for you to have him on guard, at night especially. He'll be good company for the children. We've got so many of them that we want to give this one away. And what was there to do but accept him with thanks, a dog like that begging for a home, and a home like that really needing a dog? So the dog was promptly accepted as a member of the family, was named Star, and accepted the overtures of his devoted worshippers in many amiable waggings of tail and a wide puppy laugh on his face. He stayed behind most contentedly when Graham departed after a long conference with George and Harley over the chicken book, and a long discussion in the back yard as to the best place for the chicken run. He seemed to know from the start that he had come to stay, that this was his job, and he was on it for life. It must be admitted that Mrs. Hollister went to sleep that night with more content, knowing that big, floppy, deep-voiced dog was lying across the door out in the living room. 
the hillside had seemed a bit lonely at night though she had never admitted it even to herself before and she was glad the dog had come that night in the little prayer that she said every night with all her children gathered about her couch in front of the fire she added we thank thee o lord for sending us such good kind friends to make the world so much happier for us a few days later mrs graham came to call her son did not explain to her anything about the hollisters nor say a word about the place where they were living he merely remarked casually mother there are some people i'd like you to call on if you don't mind they live out glenside way and i'll take you any afternoon you have time i really haven't much time now before we go to the shore sydney she said couldn't they wait till the fall when we return no mother i'd like you to call now it needn't take you long and i think you'll like them her mrs hollister i mean can't you go this afternoon i'll call for you with the car anywhere you say along about half-past four or five o'clock it will be a pleasant little drive and rest you shall i have to be much dressed asked the mother thoughtfully because i shouldn't have time for an elaborate toilet i have to go to madam's for a fitting meet with the red cross committee drop in at the hospital for a few minutes and see mrs shepherd and mrs follette about our alumni anniversary banquet just wear something simple mother they are not society people it's you i want to show them not your clothes you ridiculous boy you're as unsophisticated as your father well i'll be ready at half-past four you may call for me then at the century building elizabeth had been loyal to her brother's commands and had said nothing about her new-found friend awaiting his permission graham earnestly discussed the pros and cons of woman's suffrage with his mother during the drive out so that she was utterly unprejudiced by any former ideas concerning the hollisters which was exactly what her son desired her to be he knew that his mother was a woman of the world and hedged about by conventions of all sorts but he also knew her to be fair in her judgments when once she saw a thing right and a keen reader of character he wanted her to see the Hollisters without the least bit of a chance to judge them beforehand. So, when the car drew up in front of the old barn, Mrs. Graham was quite unprepared to have her son get out and open the car door and say, Mother, this is the place. May I help you out? She had been talking earnestly and had thought he was getting out to look after something wrong about the car. Now she looked up startled. Why, Sidney, why, you must have made a mistake. This isn't a house it's a barn this is the place mother just come right up this way mrs graham picked her way over the short green turf up to the door and stood astonished while her son knocked what in the world did he mean was this one of his jokes had he brought her out to see a new riding horse that must be it of course he was always taking a fancy to a horse or a dog she really hadn't the time to spare for nonsense this afternoon but one must humor one's son once in a while she stepped back absent-mindedly, her eyes resting on the soft greens and purples of the foliage across the meadows, her thoughts on the next paper she intended to write for the club. This incident would soon be over, and then she might pursue the even tenor of her busy way. Then the door slid back, and she became aware of something unusual in the tenseness of the moment. Looking up quickly, she saw a beautiful girl of about Elizabeth's age, with a wealth of dark wavy hair, lovely dark eyes, and vivid coloring and by her side one of the loveliest golden-haired blue-eyed babies she had ever seen in her life in the wonder of the moment she forgot that the outside of the building had been a barn 
for the curtain had risen on a new setting, and here on the very threshold there opened before her amazed eyes a charming home-like room. At first she did not take in any of the details of furnishings. Everything was tastefully arranged, and the dull tones of wall and floor and ceiling in the late afternoon light mellowed the old furniture into its background so perfectly that the imperfections and makeshifts did not appear. It was just a place of comfort and beauty, even though the details might show shabby poverty. But her son was speaking. Mother, this is Miss Carol Hollister, and this little girl is her sister Doris. Doris put out a fat hand and gravely laid it in the lady's kid glove, saying carefully, with shy lashes drooped sideways, and blue eyes furtively searching the stranger's face, How do? Then, as if she had performed her duty, she turned on her smiles and dimples with a flash, and grasping Graham's hand, said, Now, Mr. Dwayam, oh, Tom, out and see my wabbits. It was evident to the mother that her son had been here before. She looked at him for an explanation, but he only said to Carol, Is your mother able to see callers for a few minutes? Oh, yes, said Carol, with a glad little ring in her voice. Mother is up in a chair this afternoon. See? The doctor says she may get up now. She is so much better. And she turned and flung out her arm toward the big easy chair where her mother sat. Mrs. Hollister arose and came forward to meet them. She was dressed in a plain little gown of cheap gray chalet, much washed and mended, but looking somehow very nice, and Carol had just finished fastening one of Shirley's sheer white fluffy collars around her neck, with a bit of a pink ribbon looped in a pretty knot. Her hair was tastefully arranged, and she looked every inch a lady as she stood to receive her unexpected guests. Graham had never seen her in any but invalid's garb before, and he stood amazed for a moment at the likeness between her and Shirley. He introduced his mother with a few words, and then yielded to Doris's eager pulling hand and went out to see the bunnies. The situation was a trifle trying for both ladies, but to the woman of the world perhaps the more embarrassing. She hadn't a clue as to who this was she had been brought to see. She was entirely used to dominating any situation, but for a moment she was almost confused. Mrs. Hollister, however, tactfully relieved the situation with a gentle, "'Won't you sit here by the fire? It is getting a little cool this evening, don't you think?' and put her at once at ease. Only her family would have guessed, from the soft pink spots in her cheeks, that she was at all excited over her grand guest. She took the initiative at once, leading the talk into natural channels about the spring and its wonderful unfolding in the country, exhibited a vase with jack-in-the-pulpits and a glass bowl of hepaticas blushing blue and pink, told of the thrush that had built a nest in the elm over the door, and pointed out the view over the valley where the sinking sun was flashing crimson from the weather vane on the little white spire of the church. She said how much they had enjoyed the sunsets since coming out here to live, taking it for granted that her visitor knew all about their circumstances, and making no apologies or comments. And the visitor, being what her son called a good sport, showed no hint that she had never heard of the Hollisters before, but smiled and said the right thing at the right moment. And somehow, neither knew just how, they got to the subject of Browning and Ibsen, and from there to woman suffrage. And when Graham returned with Carol and Harley, Doris chattering beside him and the dog bounding in ahead, they were deep in future politics. Graham sat and listened for a while, 
interested to note that the quiet little woman who had spent the last few years of her life working in a narrow dark city kitchen could talk as thoughtfully and sensibly as his cultured versatile mother the next trolley brought shirley and george and again the mother was amazed to find how altogether free and easy seemed to be the relation between all these young people she gave a keen look at shirley and then another at her son but saw nothing which gave her uneasiness the girl was unconscious as a rose and sweet and gracious to the stranger guests as if she had been in society all her life she slipped away at once to remove her hat and when she came back her hair was brushed and she looked as fresh as a flower in her clean white ruffled blouse the older woman could not take her eyes from her face what a charming girl to be set among all this shabbiness for by this time her discriminating eyes had discovered that everything literally everything was shabby who were these people and how did they happen to get put here the baby was ravishingly beautiful the girls were charming and the boys looked like splendid manly fellows the mother was a product of culture and refinement not one word or action had shown that she knew her surroundings were shabby she might have been mistress of a palace for aught she showed of consciousness of the pitiful poverty about her it was as if she were just dropped down for the day in a stray barn and making a palace out of it while she stayed unconsciously the woman of the world lingered longer than was her wont in making calls she liked the atmosphere and was strangely interested by them all i wish you would come and see me she said cordially as she rose at last to go and she said it as if she meant it as if she lived right around the corner and not twenty-two miles away as if she really wanted her to come and not as if this other woman lived in a barn at all good old sport commented her son in his heart as he listened he had known she must see their worth and yet he had been strangely afraid mrs hollister received the invitation with a flush of pleasure thank you she answered graciously but i'm afraid not i seldom go anywhere any more but i've been very glad to have had this call from you it will be a pleasure to think about come some time again when you are out this way your son has been most kind i cannot find words to express my thanks has he and his mother looked questioningly at her son well i'm very glad yes and elizabeth she is a dear sweet girl and we all love her revelations oh has elizabeth been here too well i'm glad i hope she has not been a nuisance she's such an impulsive erratic child elizabeth is quite a problem just now she's out of school on account of her eyes and her girlfriends most of them being away at school she is perfectly forlorn i am delighted to have her with your children i am sure they are charming associates for her and her eyes rested approvingly on the sparkling carol in her simple school dress of brown linen with its white collar and cuffs there was nothing countrified about carol she looked dainty in the commonest raiment and she smiled radiantly at elizabeth's mother and won her heart would you let elizabeth stay overnight with us here some time she asked shyly why surely i presume she would be delighted she does about as she pleases these days i really don't see very much of her i am so busy this time of year just at the end of the season you know and lots of committee meetings and teas and things they stopped at the doorway to look up into the big tree in response to the earnest solicitations of doris who pulled at the lady's gloved hand insistently murmuring sweetly birdie birdie seen my birdie in the tree the hollisters stood grouped at the doorway 
when at last the visitors got into their car and went away mrs graham looked back at them wistfully what a lovely group they make she murmured now sydney tell me at once who they are and why they live in a barn and why you brought me out here i know you had some special object i knew the minute i saw that charming woman mother you certainly are great i thought you'd have the good sense to see what they are why i haven't spent a more delightful hour in a long time than i spent talking with her she has very original ideas and she expresses herself well as for the children they are lovely that oldest girl has a great deal of character in her face but what are they doing in a barn sydney and how did you come to know them and so as they speeded out the smooth turnpike to their lovely home sydney graham told his mother as much of the story of shirley hollister and the old barn as he thought she would care to know and his mother sat thoughtfully watching his handsome enthusiastic face while he talked and wondering one comment she made as they swept up the beautiful drive to their luxurious country home sydney dear they are delightful and all that and i'm sure i'm glad to have that little girl come to see elizabeth but if i were you i wouldn't go out there too often when that handsome oldest girl is at home she's not exactly in your set you know charming as she is and you wouldn't want to give her any ideas a gentleman looks out for things like that you know what has being in our set got to do with it mother dear do you know any girl in our set that is better looking or has nicer manners or a finer appreciation of nature and books you ought to hear her talk yes but sydney that isn't everything she isn't exactly mother were you and father when you used to have good times together now mother you know you are just talking twaddle when you let that idea about our set rule your mind be a good sport mother dear and look the facts in the face that girl is as good as any other girl i know and you know it she's better than most please admit the facts yet you never warned me to be careful about calling on any of the girls in our set do please be consistent however don't worry about me i've no idea at present of paying any special attention to anybody and he swung the car door open and jumped down to help her out End of chapter 14